Paul is writing to a group of Christians he's never met, but a guy named Epaphras is a faithful servant who reached them, is from that town, and, and, and met Paul probably in Ephesus and spent time with him, was discipled by him, or others in Ephesus, and brings, Paul was there two years, and he brings uh, just the word of God there, and others do, and there's a church birthed, and there's faithful brethren in Colossae. And uh, Paul is thankful for these faithful brethren. Every man will proclaim his own goodness, but a faithful man or woman who can find one. Faithful to what? Faithful to the word of God. They, they live in faith, hope, and love, as he talked about their spiritual maturity already in the beginning as he's um, thanking God for them. And I just want to read you a verse in Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 2 says this, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul goes through four generations with Timothy to explain to him how valuable faithfulness is in the kingdom of God. He says, the things I have given to you, Timothy, I'll do it this way. I, Paul, one generation, to you, Timothy, second generation, other men, third generation, who will teach others also, fourth generation. He speaks in a very short sentence of four generations deep of Christianity where what is truth is passed on. It's not just passed on through word, but through example and life. And you would not be here today if there weren't faithful people in your history to bring Christ to us. Amen? True? We wouldn't be here today. Now it's our turn. Now it's our turn. So, in verses 9 through 12, we pick up the story because he's thanked God for the uh, Colossians. He's thankful for the Philippians, too, but that is who we're talking about. Um, I'm studying Philippians for uh, going to Malawi, and I'm probably going to end up saying Philippi, but it'll always be Colossae unless I note that otherwise. All right, so uh, Paul is thanking God for them. And then in verse 9, he tells them how he prays for them. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now, you probably pray just like this, don't you? Oh, maybe yours are a little shorter. Lord, get him. Just get him. Lord, stop her. Lord, when are you going to deal with them? (laughs) Is that a little bit more your prayer? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, maybe not, but listen, Paul has a relationship with God in Jesus Christ. Paul has experienced God's wisdom. Paul is seeking to please the Lord, to walk worthy of him. He's enjoying fruitfulness, and he's been strengthened with God's power to live patiently with endurance. You know, patience and long-suffering, by the way, are two different words. 
Patience may be a simple way of saying it. You're in traffic and you don't get all mad and hot and bothered because it slows down and you have to wait. Well, that's good. You're being patient or you're in line at the store and you have to wait five minutes instead of immediately get through the checkout. We're so proud of you. You're so patient. But long-suffering, I was a little cynical there, I know, a little smart-alecky. Um, long-suffering is different. Long-suffering isn't waiting for a circumstance to work out in the immediate moment or being patient about some event or such. Long-suffering has to do with people. Long-suffering with people's faults and failures and foibles and frustrations and having a vision to see them excel and succeed and overcome. That's long-suffering is, is enduring with other people's troubles and faults and problems. That's, that's our Lord Jesus Christ. He is long. When are we going to get this over with? I need to go somewhere else. He had that patience too, but he had long-suffering. It's how he came to us. So, so Paul talks about these things. And Paul truly knows the joy of the Lord from this uh, pleasing and walking worthy and being strengthened with power and living patiently with endurance. He knows the joy of the Lord. In other words, if you don't got the measles, you can't give the measles. Don't go science on me. Even if it's just inside of you and you're not exhibiting measles, I know if you have the, you know, that whole thing, wherever that works, the idea is you have to have it in you for in order to transfer it to somebody else. Are you with me? So forget about if I have my science exact today on anything. The point isn't that. The point is you've got to have the measles to give the measles. You've got to have a cold to give a cold. Is that true? You can't give what you don't have. What do you got? What you got? Do you, because you may have more than you know. Do we have to be uh, like Paul? He wants them to have what he has and know what he knows that Christ has done for them. Do we have to be at Paul's level, at his maturity level and depth to pray for others? I hope not because I'm not there. How about you? I'm not quite automatically there. But this prayer can really motivate each of us in our walk with the Lord. Um, if we have it, we pray it. Now, Steve Cole did a, a, a wonderful study in Ephesians, and it's online from about two months ago out of Ephesians 1 with the same basic prayer, and he outlined each of those things about how to pray those things, and I'm not going to do that today. Today, looking at all of this, the point that I want to bring out in, in a little briefer moment, then, then those, they're really worthy of looking at each one in depth, but we've done that recently. Uh, Paul uh, prays that the Colossians will receive all the things and they walk in uh, the things that God has given us. And if we have it, we pray it. We go, but what if I don't have it? How can I pray it? How can I pray it? Well, sometimes you pray it even if you don't really understand it fully because as you pray it in for others, you'll find that you have a hard time not following that same pattern. How can you pray? How could I pray for my wife, Gail, and instead of if she was in a hard time, and I, instead of me just praying, Lord, just help her not be so uptight and help her not that she is, but there was one time. <laughs> Lord, just help her not be so uptight and, you know, not rail on me for it, you know. And, <laughs> and all of a sudden, the prayer is all about you. Your prayer for another person is not about another person. It's about you and how they affect you. You're free to pray that prayer. 
But that's not praying for somebody else. That's praying for you. When I take separate, and I'm just using Gail because of the closest relationship I have on her, Lord, I pray you'd help Gail to see how much you love her. I pray you'd help Gail to, uh, to, to understand your grace, that you're never going to leave her, that you, she would see the plan that you have, that you, not me, that you want to unfold in her life. She'd be able to see it. It's honestly much more important that Gail sees the plan God has for her than Rick sees the plan that Gail has for her. I have a role. I'm connected. I'm very connected. But it's much more important for her to see what God wants to say to her than what Rick wants to say to her. And what I want to say to her is important, but it's going to be tempered and toned by what God is doing in me. You know, if my prayer for people is, Lord, stop them, help them, get them, get them right, probably my sense about the Lord with me is that I'm under legalism and all I want is God. You know, I feel like God's looking that way at me. When are you going to get it right, Rick? Because that's all that's projected from me because that's all I seem to be drawing from. Do you get what I'm saying? There's more to the story. And Paul gives us an insight. He pulls back the curtains to see what it can be like in your relationship with God. See, we tout that in Christianity. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. But sometimes we don't really follow through in our relationship, and we're frustrated because, well, we'll get to that. So we don't have to be at Paul's level, but we can grow by praying, and we can pray because we're growing. And he prays that they will also give God thanks that he chose them to share the inheritance that they get and that they are walking in the light in. And that is a beautiful thing. And Paul's prayer comes from his own thankfulness, and I want to reinforce it by having you turn to the back page of your bulletin. I already said it, but I want Paul to say it himself. How was Paul able to pray such meaningful, wonderful prayers for others from his own relationship? In New Living Translation, just because it flows easily and, and may help you, I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. If you know King James, and I am chief. But God had mercy on me so that, the, that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Do you see his heart? Do you see what's happened in his life? Paul isn't saying... When are you guys going to be like me? When are you going to be like me? He's saying, man, I've tasted the Lord. I mean, he came to me. You know why he says I was the worst sinner? Because he went around the world and found out what everybody did and figured out that his was worst. It's because your view of yourself, you know, should always be the most clear view because you can see and know yourself like nobody knows you. 
You know, people see the front that you put on. And, and by the way, it's not wrong. You shouldn't say, do you want to see how bad my heart really is? Blah! Uh, I don't think that's necessary. <laughs> okay, I don't think that's helpful in most, most of the time. You know, most of the time you're, you're making sure that nobody can see. You wouldn't share all your most evil, wicked, selfish. How about the subtle selfishness that you know how to do? You know how tricky you can be? Come on. I want to see some nods. Do you know how tricky you can be? <laughs> how subtle you can be? And act, maybe it's because it comes out of my own failure here. In my past, I just was the best one in my family at being the legal lawyer. I would have the, almost like I was holding that yellow pad. Yesterday at 2 o'clock, did you not say this, Mrs. Cohen? Your Honor, make the answer the question, you know, and and I could prove that I was right in any situation through Scripture and all this stuff, and I was I was really winning my family; they were just loving it. Maybe maybe all this comes out of my own failure here, but but I have grown, and uh, and 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 it was pointed out to me how I made people feel. And uh, and I thought, why do I do that? I don't really think I'm better. Well, maybe I do. Maybe maybe there's this thinking you're better thing, and you know. And it's a great day when you get over that. I don't know that anybody gets just over it, but it's a great day to kind of. There's a great freedom. You can still say things that need to be said, but it's not about you know the force of your will. The force of your will is not necessarily a good thing. The power of the Holy Spirit is a great thing. And so Paul, out of his own relationship with God, he sees God's mercy on him. And the way he looks at them and what he wants for them is exactly what he's received. Isn't that great? Isn't that, isn't that not what you thought when you first got saved or heard about the Bible, what, what it is? It's not what you thought. And so um, he also says in Romans 11, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the mercy and the grace of God is his, who's been the Lord's counselor, who, who's advised him. Well, millions of people have advised him. Hey, God, I think you should do this. But who's advised him where he actually took it? <laughs> Nobody can give him advice. He knows exactly what to do. And Paul was able to see in the Spirit the riches and the glory and the grace of God, his ways are unsearchable and past finding out. He didn't say, now, listen, listen. He didn't say, now that I completely and perfectly understand everything about the Lord, there's nothing I don't know. Now that I know all this, you know, oh, he's so great because now I figured it out. No, he's trusting God who knows what he does and he's seen enough to see that he doesn't know everything. And so, Paul is thankful. What has God done for you lately? Quite a bit. Quite a bit more than you are grasping and that I am grasping. Now, in 13 and 14, now he's not praying, he's talking about the Lord to them. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So if you go back to 12, he's qualified us. Then he's now delivered us. He's conveyed us, transferred us. He's redeemed us, delivered us from what? From the power of darkness. What is the power of darkness? If I ask that question 
typically the answers would be a, a, a reaching for all the evil things that happen opposed to God. But here the question, what is the power of darkness? The power of darkness is you can't see. <laughs> That's the power of darkness. The power of darkness is the absence of light. Darken this room, put all the stuff on the screens, completely no light getting in, can't see your hand in front of your face. Pretty hard to walk and not walk into somebody, step over them, onto them, not to trip over a chair. The power of darkness is that you can't see. I understand that Satan is the power in a, you know, the adjective versus the noun. I get it. But the power of darkness, think of it as the noun. Its power is that it blinds you, keeps you from seeing. Seeing what? Seeing the gospel? You know, we've been conveyed into his kingdom. There are two important moving days in life. Gail is right now down in Arizona helping her mom pack to move here and, and not bring everything, but it does seem that way. Uh, but uh, but, um, but pray, pray, that's a very difficult thing for, I mean, we love her and we're so glad she's coming. And she's 86, that's a hard move. Moving out here from Oregon 17 years ago plus, 17 years, maybe we're moving to 18 now. Um, and uh, I was so tired and afraid from traveling back and forth, getting stuff done, not getting sleep, and just the whole move thing. I mean, I could feel I was a younger man, too, you know, and yet I, and, and, but I could feel just tears as I was driving the truck away from the house to go to our friends to spend the night. I was just at the end of my capacity to function. Have you been there? You know, I don't care how strong you are, and I wasn't that strong, but <laughs> I don't care how strong you are, you can reach that point. Lack of sleep and a little bit of stress and then a little more stress can do a lot to you, can't it? And uh, moving is one of those high-level stresses. But you know what? There's two important moving days, and that, that was important. I'm glad I'm with you. But I'm glad I'm with you. No, no, don't say anything. <laughs> what was that about manipulation and how to... The great moving day was, for me, December 31st, 1971, because that's the day that the light turned on, not only around me, but inside of me. Amen. And I was translated from the power of darkness to the kingdom of God's Son. Amen. That was number one moving day. Yours was a different moment. If you haven't had it, it's time to move. Amen. Number two moving day is when this body, I know I'm really pretty good here, but this body, <laughs> I want you to all learn this, is that apparently, yes, I limp. So don't ask me if I limp. Are you limping, Rick? <laughs> I get asked that every week. Apparently, I limp. You know how it bugs you to have somebody point out if you're decrepit and falling apart? <laughs> I'm very sensitive about that. You know, this is my opportunity. No, I, I don't care. You can ask me. I know you love me, but uh, some of you. But anyway... <laughs> You know our bodies, you know you youngins, you know when you hit about 19, it's all downhill from there. I know you build up till 30 or you do all that, but they say your body's starting to die at 19 or 20 or some ungodly time. And the thing is, is that there's a transformation that's complete is when this vile body, this temporary body, this corruptible body puts on incorruption and we receive our new bodies. And we're perfected. Mind, soul, emotion, everything. Will. Hallelujah. What a day. What a day that will be. That's moving day. And we've been translated to the kingdom of God's own son of his love. 
And, and so, and then he says, not only that, have we been qualified, made right with God, you know, you are acceptable, delivered from darkness, conveyed into his kingdom, redeemed through his blood. Not through our good works, not through a change of thought pattern, redeemed through his blood. I've said it, and others have said it before me, and we will all continue to say it if we're faithful to the gospel. And we won't worry about being repetitive. No worry about being repetitive. No shame. Unashamedly repetitive. The gospel is not the story of bad people being made good or good people being made better. It's about lost people being found. It's about people on their way to destruction, separated from God by their sin, sold to sin and bound to sin, being set free and delivered by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's the only one who could. He's the only one who would, knowing us the way he does, loving us even more than others. This dismissing and diminishing of Christ's role in our lives is happens because of false doctrine that diminishes Jesus, and that's what Paul's going to get into as he gets a little further now. And it doesn't harm God for people to deny him or dismiss him. His, it's not because his feelings get hurt. He doesn't get you know reserved and fearful and unable to function because he's been put down. He does just fine. We harm ourselves. Culture harms itself. Man harms himself. It's diabolically destructive for mankind to deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Satan could not convince Adam and Eve that God wasn't real. So he didn't even try. And you say, well, a lot of people think God isn't real today. There's still, when they take the surveys, how many people in America say, oh, I believe in God. And what is that God? Whatever is right between this ear and this ear. The God of each mind, how I see God, how I think God. I mean, I know I was there. It was like I'd look in the mirror and I'd see God. Like, whatever I think must be what he thinks. You know, how I got that, I have no idea. But it was easier than facing myself in light of his truth and and his character and his holiness. It's much easier to face me with my own theory than it was to face God in his holiness and purity. And so um, Satan couldn't tell them God isn't real. They knew he was real. But he could undermine their relationship with him by denying the power and the authority of God's word. Has God really said? Did he really mean? Does he really know what he's doing? Is it really this way? It's a big world out there, Eve. It's a lot bigger than God's given on to you because he wants to keep you under his thumb. So in verses 15 through 18, we see where Paul is going into making sure, and it will go on from more than just here, him, let them know who Jesus really is. He is the image, which is not like a replica made out of glass, plastic, wood, or stone, the exact representation. He is the image of the invisible God. He's what you can see of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. Not, not that he's the first one of many that are just exactly like him, but he is the preeminent one over creation. For by him all things, and those are, if you go into the language, you'll see those things are true. For by him, verse 16, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on the earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. There's no any kind of structure of authority or anything anywhere that wasn't created by Jesus. All things were created through him, the last sentence, and for him in verse 16. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist or are held together. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Wow, pretty amazing. So he's the creator of all, he's not created We exist for him. We exist for him. Let let me tell you, why are there so many frustrated Christians? I don't say that belittlingly or arrogantly like I'm sitting on top and let me talk to the lowerings. You know, I'm just trying to communicate something that is helpful because throughout my life, first of all, everybody gets frustrated. Are we okay with that? Life can be frustrating. <laughs> so I, I personally have not achieved the no more frustration level, so don't misunderstand me. But there's a difference. I'm a Christian, but I don't get it. I'm a Christian, but it's not really working. I believe in God. I'm not going to deny him, but I'm not going to really work much harder at getting close anymore because it just never works out for me. Why? Because we have been taught through our own minds, perhaps through some teachings, perhaps through lack of teaching, that God exists for us. Folks, it isn't like, as long as you're here, even if he wasn't there, you'd still be here. That's a misunderstanding of reality. Reality is if he wasn't here, you wouldn't be here. Now, that's a doctrine. That's a Bible truth. Okay? And doctrine makes a difference. Not dry, dead, tell people these different lists of things. But it's not dry and it's not dead. It really makes a difference in my life. I, if, I, if I died right now, if I, was, if I was never born, do you believe this about yourself? If you were never born, God is still exactly who he is. The eternal one. If that is not clear to you, the next step, I mean, you go, well, okay, so what? Well, here's the what. The what is God existing for me. It's a subtle thing we do. Is here's my life, and here's what I want you to do in my life. And, and I, by no means is it wrong to plead with and ask God for the things you need and to help you through life. Amen. But it is not solely that. And it is not primarily that. And your pastors and teachers are not helping you if they tell you it's primarily about you and what you want and what you feel you need and who you are. They are not going to make you happier. They are going to make you frustrated because God is not in the business of bowing down to you or me. I exist for him. He doesn't exist for me. He's there for me, but he doesn't exist because I want him to. It's a big difference. And I'm frustrated when I'm trying to do the uh, rub the Bible for good luck and pray the right prayers, say the right things, so this will happen. It's almost into magic. 
Our faith is supernatural, but it's not magic. And we don't control God. We submit to God. And we believe God in his promises. And it's a challenge, and you're not alone. You're not the only one. It's not like, well, it works for everybody else, but not for me. My friend, every person, I mean, okay, 80% of the people that I talk to, which is really over many years and coming from a really large church, thousands of people, 80% of them say, well, I guess it works for everybody else, but not for me when they're struggling. Or, well, I'm not like everybody else. And I'm waiting to meet the everybody else that everybody says exists, but all of them are not that person. Who is this everybody else? Because almost all of us go through times where that's where the enemy likes to undermine our faith. I am not telling you you're not important to God. He valued you so much, you can't even imagine he gave everything for you. If what Jesus did on the cross isn't enough, no answer to a specific prayer that you're asking for is going to be enough. There'll be another one later, and another one after that, and another one after that, and another one after that. And it's not wrong to ask him. And it's not wrong to need him. And it's not wrong to cry out to him. But that's not all there is. And that's not the primary purpose of your existence. And somebody else knowing it for you doesn't always make you know it for you. God allows you will. You were created in his image after his likeness. We're fallen creatures, so our will is tweaked. Our emotions are tweaked. Our thinking is tweaked. Do you know what I mean by tweaked? Bent out of shape. It's not in the right direction. It's very. It's what's natural to us. So, but he lets you have a will. So you can say, I don't care. This is what I want. Because you have the power of having that will. But you also have the power through the Holy Spirit. You can't do it alone, but you can actually bring that will to him and say, mold me, make me, fill me, use me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Not my will, but your wills be. There's things I don't understand, Lord, and and there's things that trouble me greatly. And, And I know that there's things in my life that I may never understand until I see him face to face. And part of being a true Christian, I don't know what, to, how, what word to use, to be a solid Christian is to accept that. It isn't that you're going to know everything. You're going to know the one who loves you. And so it's such a beautiful thing because the Bible is not a book of etiquette, or I'd be really losing out. It's not a book of self-improvement. It's not a book of rules of behavior. You can pick a verse out that tells you about anything. You can go to the Proverbs as a non-believer and learn business practice and how to be wise with people. And, and okay, that's great, but that isn't salvation. And you, so in that regard, you can go to hell being a, quote-unquote, earthly sense, good person. The gospel is deliverance from self and from Satan's grab on yourself because we're fallen it's a testimony of Jesus Christ. It's why we teach the whole story. It's why we go through the whole world. You don't have to do it just like us to be a good teacher or pastor or church, but you have to get people through the whole word somehow, 
where they're not just picking out verses and making it say whatever you want to make it fit that day. you got to read the whole story. And the thing is, is that people come to us and say, and what I'm trying to help you understand to do is not to ram it down people's throat or be arrogant or smart-alecky, but it is to definitely, when somebody says, well, I think the Bible's about this or that and the other, say, let's turn to something. Try any page in the New Testament. If you read long enough, you'll see it's all about Jesus. It's all, the Gospels are about who he is. Yeah, you can read a story about a certain aspect of how things went, and you can talk about that, but the centerpiece, the purpose, the foundation, and the ultimate goal is Jesus. You can't read Colossians. You can't read Colossians and not see that it's all about Jesus, can you? Unless you simply don't want to see it. You want it to be something else. You will not, then you cannot see Jesus as the preeminent purpose of the scriptures, letting us know that he is the center of God's thought and he is the fulfillment of God's promise. He's the reality. He's the head of all creation. He's God's light. He alone holds God's plans for mankind. He uniquely is God's passion displayed. God can show passion in many ways. So can his people. There are many ways that we should show passion about learning and about helping people who are poor and uplifting people who are downtrodden. And these things exist within the gospel, but man was created in God's image after his likeness. You who are parents, yes, there's times where you say, I just wish my kids would obey me. And that's kind of your general, that's it. Just for that, but that any parent, any any true parent who loves their kids has a goal for their children. What is it? It's you want them to want to do the right thing because it's healthy and good for them, and you want to have relationship. You want them to love you and come and be close to you, not just obey a list of rules and not bother you. Now listen, are we so arrogant that we think that we invented the love of a parent? for a child and the desire for relationship. And God up there isn't quite as good as us. He's just a rule guy that gives rules so people will keep rules. And rules that make you squirm. Rules that are hard on you. No. Sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. God knows. Listen. I want my kids to be free. So you're four years old? Just run anywhere you want, Beth. And out into the four-lane street she goes, and 50 feet later, after a front end of a car throws her, she's dead. I don't call that freedom. Do you? No, I put boundaries to protect them. There are times where as they're growing... They're learning, and I'm crossing a street, and it's an unbusy street, my own backyard kind of street, and I put my finger down when you have a three-year-old, and they put that little pudgy little uh, fingers, they put their little hand around your finger. You know, I don't know if you guys did that, but I always did that when we were, but as soon as I heard a car, my hand went out, 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 flipped up and grabbed their wrist, not just their hand, their wrist, because I knew that their wrist, they couldn't get away or slip out of my hand. And I'd grab their wrist kind of tightly with their hand. I'd kind of still have it in their hand, but I had a grip so that I say, hold my hand, honey, but who was holding who? All things are held together by his power and by his presence, and, and he's the passion. He was Paul's passion. I hope he's our passion more than anything else, even the things he gives you to do. You'll burn out on those things. 
unless he's your true passion. And, you know, it isn't, it sounds kind of restrictive, this whole, it's got to be Jesus, got to be Jesus. Well, uh, I didn't make up the story. And not only do I not feel guilty for it, I'm thankful for clarity. In the front of your bulletin, notice the clarity of Jesus. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. You know, I think the Lord Jesus was not afraid to shake us up to get us focused. Because when my daughter ran out into the street one day when I, you know, she was away from me and she was about four, and the car screeched to a halt, I grabbed her and I didn't do the best job I could have done. In fact, I got right in her face. I'm not, I'm not suggesting this was the proper thing. But the emotion took over. I love her so much. She almost got killed. And in my mind, because, you know, I had a 50s dad and mom, they loved me, and they didn't beat me, and I wasn't, whatever warped I am, it's not from my parents, okay? Don't blame them. It's just, it's my own choice, okay? But they were, you know, I, 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 my dad would yell at me, and, I'm gonna, and I was frustrated and fearful. I got right in her face and yelled at her. I didn't curse at her. I yelled at her about what she did, and she started crying, and then I backed off. And I, that was the day, actually, I felt like God spoke to me. He said, you're not your dad. He loved you, but you can do better. You can have more self-control on how you deal with your children and still do the right thing. And so some changes happened from that. So, um, But I'm saying is, uh, what am I saying? <laughs> There's a track somewhere, and I'm going to get back on it. Um, You know, Jesus would shake you up sometimes. He'll shake people up because people will just go whatever direction feels good. They'll go whatever broad way is available. They'll take the easy route, but it's a route to destruction. He's not saying, I've made this really wide route because I want you all to go over the cliff. He's saying, there's a wide route because there's one that exists inside every human mind. Your own way. There's a way that seems right to a man, Proverbs tells us, but the end of those ways is death. That's fallen man's broad way. Satan is very helpful to fill all the potholes and smooth it out and puts flashing lights go this way. But nonetheless, the way exists in your mind. Your own way. Your own will. This is how I feel about it. Nobody's going to tell me different. Well, broad is the way. You know, there's a lot of people that think that way. And you get to be who you are. Or you can take that will and say, God, what is your way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, I am the door. The reason it's so narrow is because it's a person. It's not a list of rules. It's the blood of Jesus that he shed because there's nobody else who took your place in death in suffering. You do suffer here, but it will end, and you will be in glory. And he will carry the marks of his suffering throughout eternity, a lamb having been slain from the foundation of the earth. So we hear it spoken, (laughs) hold it together, man. Hold it together, man. (laughs) But who does? Who really, I often thank the Lord. I say, Lord, I'm driving down the road yesterday. I said, you know, if you didn't hold my life together, I would be such a basket. It would be so much worse than it is. For everybody around me. I was thinking of you guys, you poor guys here. You know, the Hadron Collider in Switzerland, you've heard about it. 
Some of you were crossing your fingers and praying that it wouldn't blow up the world when they shot it off. This giant, I mean, what is it, like a half a mile long, and they shoot particles of, they're breaking up atoms, which is always a good idea. <laughs> but actually, it's what they have, to, you know, for those of us that grew up with, you know, the even before the 60s, the 50s, I don't know when they first figured out that an atom with the, the proton and the electron and the neutron, and they're going around like this, right? But whenever that was, it was before my time, but it wasn't that far before our time. any of us here. Are, it was in the recent a, a couple of centuries that they figured out that there's more space in this metal than there is solid. How so? Even though they've def now they found beyond protons and neutrons and electrons, they found quarks, you know. We all have a few quirks, but they found three initially inside of uh, Adam. Now they've upped it. They found five. Maybe there's 50. Maybe we just don't know. haven't gotten the smallest ones yet. But even so, look at our solar system. You know how it's almost like a picture of an atom in the sense that there's stuff spinning around another thing. And the spaces between the atom particles, the protons and neutrons, the quarks, is like, is like the planets surrounding the sun. This is not, I'm not giving you the exact distance in science on it. You get the point. Okay. The point is, there's a lot of space. So the things that exist are made up of nothing because of all the space between. I should be able to, I can put my hand right through here, but I can't match up the spaces. Obviously, it's so microscopic. It's so beyond microscopic. But the point is, just expand it. There's more space in everything than there is actual solid. A solid of atoms is still atoms. What's holding it all together? What is the atomic glue? They're researching it. I think we have the answer. He holds all things together by the word of his power. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the entire universe, this was written, this was written somewhere around 70 or 80 A.D., by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. And then in Hebrews 12, and I have to read you this one. You, I, you could turn there if you can find Hebrews quickly. But it, it says, um, when he's talking about when God appeared or revealed himself to Israel on Mount Sinai when he gave the law, and spoke, and there was fire and smoke and God's voice. It says, whose voice then shook the earth, in verse 26 of chapter 12. Then his voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, and that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. You know, if you can see it, and if you can touch it, you can't keep it. It's going to get shaken loose. It's going to disappear. Anything that you can touch or see. And so, yet once more I shake heaven also. Remove those things that are can be shaken. Therefore, verse 28, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken... Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. 
You know, if you can see it, you can't keep it forever. You know, he, 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 uh, the elements, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3, the elements, you know what elements are? It's the same, it's really the element table. Elements are the basic forms of uh, stuff, and it takes, to, to have them just burn up and disappear requires nuclear fission or something. It has to get really hot. Elements will dissolve with fervent heat, with incredible heat. How does that happen? By the word of God, by the power of the Lord. He's going to shake our world. And um, God knows what to do in our lives, how to pinpoint what needs to happen. You don't always agree with them, and you don't always understand. And I'm in your boat. I'm not the expert about that. I'm a brother in Christ. I'm a person going through the same things about some stuff. But maturity spiritually is when you go, even what I don't understand is not going to keep me from following him. It's going to remind me how much I need to follow him. Because there's going to be a shaking, and you can feel it coming. Of everything that can be shaken, so that the things that remain can be clear. He's coming. He's patient. He is not impotent. He's patient. Long-suffering. Impotent. Well, if God, God, listen, he's either not real because he's not doing anything, or he doesn't care because he's not doing this thing, or he doesn't really have the power because he's not doing this thing. He's none of the above. He's all-powerful. He knows everything. I was sitting in my basement, my daylight basement by the fire, and I was going to seek the Lord in my recliner. I do that often. And uh, what were we talking about naps earlier? Um, you know, I was fading a little bit there, and I don't mind taking a little nap before I go to my next thing with I, if my schedule works, because it really refreshes me a little. About 10 minutes does me a lot of good. But I was really kind of like I had been, you know how you get distracted from actually praying? I know it's only me and two other people in the room, but the rest of you are amazing. And, and, and suddenly it hit me. I, I, I said, gee, Lord, um, Lord, here you are, and I'm so casual about, about seeking you. And then this just a wave hit me, and we were um, Wednesday, Wednesday night talking about this. All of a sudden I go, here I am. Here's this, this guy, this little person, Okay, I'm not that little, but I'm working on it. Uh, this little person, just some guy in upstate New York, is in, this, in, in this house, in this basement, in this chair. You know how you have those satellite things, and they swoop down and then show a person close up from outer space? You know, it's like I went the other way. It's like, here I am, this little guy. and The God of all creation who made everything that exists is actually here and lives in me, is with me right now, actually cares about me and what I'm saying and wants me to talk to him. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's great. (laughs) And he is able to focus 100% of his attention on me while focusing 100% attention on Ann Lynn, while focusing 100% attention on Tom, while focusing 100% attention on every person in the world. 
And many people say that's crazy. Are you nuts? Nobody could do that, and why would he do that? And you say that because you don't know him. And I say he is that because I know him. Because when he came to me, he called me by name. And he didn't show me man is a sinner. He showed me my sin. He didn't show me men are tricky and deceptive and can manipulate. He showed me my trickiness and my deceptiveness and my manipulation. And he showed me the cross for my heart. And he has always continued to be the very same. I don't always connect because of me. I don't always get it because of me. But he's never left me or forsaken me, and I'm no better than any other person in the world. See, I know that I exist for him, that he doesn't exist for me. Well, it's a good thing you're here because, you know, here I am. I got my Coke. I got my this, and I need you to come and do this for me. No, 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 no. I'm blown away. I'm sitting there going, this is so, I actually believe this, and I know this is true, that you are right here right now, the God of all creation, and you actually are listening to me and interacting with me. And the enemy would tell you that can't happen. The enemy would tell you, not for you. Maybe it's for Rick because he's a pastor. Or maybe he just is deceived. You know, he's drinking his bath water. He thinks God is right there. No, the Bible says, not a hair of your head falls to the ground. The Lord doesn't know it. Not a sparrow dies, he doesn't know it. Are, not, are you not of more value than many sparrows? Here's a question. How many? How many sparrows? He doesn't say, he doesn't want you to try to figure it out. God loves the birds, don't worry about them. He cares about you more than anything. And your problem and need is to believe him. Not to get him to do what you want him to do, but to believe him. Not to get him to do what you want him to do, but pray all you want and believe him that he cares, but that will change your prayer. You'll pray for what you're passionate about, but you'll also trust him with what you're passionate about. You'll pray for what you're passionate about, but you will trust him with what you're passionate about. And this is a journey. You don't figure it out. I went to church today and I got it. But hopefully we're getting it, all right? Hopefully we're getting it. So if, you're, if your world is shaking... If you're struggling to hold on to God, he's holding on to you. Amen. He's holding on to you, my friend. And, and, and he wants you to be encouraged. If your world is, is shaking, he's holding on to you, and he's only shaking it so what's real and lasting will, la- will be there. If no test, no testimony. If you're playing games with God, and it's all just whatever to you, you're being warned. If you're playing games with God and it's just kind of a whatever deal, then what you're holding on to, you're going to lose. You can't hold on to it. What you think you're controlling by yourself and you don't want to give it to him, it's not because he's mad at you. It's because you're foolish in his eyes who can see what's coming. Put your life in his hands. (laughs) Put your life in his hands. Put your life in his hands. Let's pray. Maybe you want to pray in what we just talked about, so I'm going to give a minute here for other people.